0: The first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players, that dive for the ball.
1: You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs podcast on cracksidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann, Phil Bush here with you on a bye week, so got a little bit of a late start this week. Sorry about that, but I'm sure you guys uh, weren't exactly dying to hear our voices. I hope not, but uh, uh, halfway point of the season, Phil, and so far, so good.
0: Yeah, um, the enthusiasm is palpable, and uh, um, I'm ready for more enthusiasm to come our way.
1: All right, so in today's show, we, we even though it's kind of old news at this point, we will look back at a exciting week, especially over the weekend, for Marquette getting to 8-2 and two in the league. Uh, we'll kind of maybe do a little mid-season as far as like midway through conference play assessment as far as where Marquette is and what we think can be coming. And then we will talk about uh, the House of Horrors, and that is visiting DePaul on Saturday, a place that I, I know gives many Marquette fans uh, anxiety based on just the way things have gone you know, over the years. Not just, like, recently, but maybe even going back 10, 15 years when we go to DePaul. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yes. But, Phil, uh, again, even though it is kind of old news at this point, I do want to touch a little bit on uh, an excellent week last week, 2-0. We got the payback win over Providence. And, boy, what a night on Saturday, uh, just dismantling Seton Hall on the road. Uh, that was a pretty satisfying um, pretty satisfying regular season win, Uh even though you know, Marquette was favored over Seton Hall, but Seton Hall came in, it seemed like, with a little bit of momentum because they'd won a few in a row, and people started to wonder if they were putting it together, but uh, putting Seton Hall in their place really kind of felt good on Saturday.
0: Hey, hey listen, anytime you can cr- not only win, but win in such a way that the opposing coach goes on an expletive-laced tirade in the post-game conference, like, I don't know, that's a special win. Um you know, and I, I think the, the key thing was not only was, to your point, a super fun win, right? Like, it was the offense was humming, uh, you know, Chase Ross was just murdering people in, in Newark, and, you know, and and, and Oso Gadaro was like going mini Giannis a couple of times you know stink face and and all that stuff so it was super fun but I also think the the big takeaway for me is and and you could kind of see the angst in the fan base a little bit especially online like oh, hey, you know, things have been going really great, but this is usually when the light at the end of the tunnel is the train coming the other way, and Seton Hall's gathering momentum, and we're, you know, we're getting a little full of ourselves. This is this is a trap game, and not only was it not a trap game, but, I mean, holy, holy heck, that that that, that should put a little bit of fear into some, some um, Big East opponents, if it hasn't already.
1: Recency bias a little bit here, but that Chase Rostunk was one of the best posters I think we've seen from a Marquette player in the last 25 years. Yeah, yeah, and there, there maybe there's some that are a little better, but uh, as far as one that just makes you stand up out of your chair and just say, oh. Ho, 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 uh, and what in real time, time right?
0: Like, the, yes. like we were, and and it was noted on on the internet on Twitter. But go back and watch the clip for like the five hundred and sixty seventh time. But we were all Cam Jones. Cam Jones is on the bottom of the screen in the video in the in the the All Ten uh, video, and you can literally see him go up as if he's pantomiming to dunk as Chase Ross does. I was doing yeah, the same I, thing in my own living room.
1: Yeah, I. I love when a dunk like that happens, when a play like that happens, watching it over and over and over on repeat, and when you're watching it on Twitter, it does that for you, which makes it easy, it just over and over and over again, and I watch, like, a different player each time. Like, I watch the bench, I watch the coaches, I watch the players on the floor, maybe if there's a fan that, like, jumps out, I will, I'll, like, watch the fan, or if their cheerleaders are in the shot, I'll watch the cheerleaders, uh, so i watch, like, everybody, and, and like, on my... Like, maybe 15th viewing of that dunk, Cam was my selection. I'm like, oh, Cam really got into it. Uh, But, yeah, that was... The emotion on that one, that was like, good night, everybody go home. Your hope is lost, Seton Hall. We have just ended this game, and... Oh, that was fantastic. And, yeah, there, I mean, there was a lot of other good things to take away from that game. Like, Seton Hall actually did a pretty good job on Tyler Kolick in that game. Uh, it, and Not that Tyler played bad necessarily, but they kind of limited his impact for most of the game. Right. Uh, but, boy, Cam Jones stepped up. He hit five threes. He was 5-9 of nine from downtown. You mentioned Oso. He didn't miss a shot from the floor. He was 7-7 seven seven from the field. And something that we talked about leading into the first matchup and we thought would be the case going into this matchup as well Seton Hall's biggest weakness on offense is like the one thing Marquette does really well defensively, and that's turnovers. And it played that way again. I think Seton Hall has actually turned it over 10 more times since that game ended over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, they can't it,
0: stop turning they, it over to us.
1: It was just an absolute nightmare for them. And it, I, I just think Marquette is a terrible matchup for Seton Hall. I think if this Marquette team played that Seton Hall team 10 times, I think Marquette wins at least eight. Maybe nine times. I I, I just think they, they're that bad of a matchup for Seton Hall.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's what we thought the matchup issue was between Marquette and UConn, only going the other way, right? Like we were all terrified of of a matchup against UConn because all their strengths were our weaknesses and and the the same thing but going the other way in our favor against Seton Hall and I think it really you know kind of proved itself out in the in the result of that game you know because the offense was I mean exciting and it was great but it wasn't like the offense was clicking on sound all cylinders throughout the game right like in the first half maybe the offense was a little bit sluggish you know and and the defense the turnovers forced really you know really kind of uh led the way for marquette so it was another case of marquette winning in a different way than they've won before which bodes well right you can't especially when you get into March, you can't win the same way every time because opponents will do right. different things. And so, you know, another example of Marquette winning different is is um, is a good thing. And I will say, you know, when you say, you know, they held Tyler Kollek down, I, I agree with what you're saying, but, like, functionally as an idea of where we are in life, Tyler Kollek had an off week because he had two games where he only had six assists in each game. Like, <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Yeah, he was, I mean, yeah, not that Tyler was bad, it's just like, I, Tyler was not like the orchestrator of the offense like he normally is, like, right. uh, maybe just coming off some previous games where he got to the basket a lot, the thing is, I guess, looking at the box score, he ended up having eight assists, maybe he got a lot of those later in the game, but I feel like in the first half he was got off to a tough start, because I think they were really keying on him, um, but the rest of Marquette's offense picked up the slack, and by the time, I mean, Marquette was just kind of, it was almost like a pickup game towards the end because Seton Hall had quit. I mean, they were done. They had turned the ball over so many times.
0: Right. Well, one but, one, so one th- question I have for you coming out of the, the Seton Hall game. So, Oso Iguodaro had a great game, right? Like, like you said, no, miss no buckets. Uh, he had 38 minutes in that game. If you look at percentage of minutes played in conference games, right? So, overall, Oso's playing about 75% of the minutes, which translates to like 30, 31 minutes, which... Way back at the beginning of the, the preseason, we kind of talked about 31-32 was where he needed to be. But in conference play, he's playing closer to 35 minutes a game. Do you have any concern about sustainability or him wearing down? Because, I, I mean, quite frankly, he's probably the most critic no, <laughs> no offense to Omax or Tyler or any of the other players, but Oso Iguodaro is probably the key to Marquette's uh, long-term success. Do you think it's sustainable the way, the way we're using him?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I'd be more concerned if he was a tr- uh, true freshman, and this was his first year playing this many games. Uh, I mean, this is his third year in college. Granted, he didn't play much uh, as a freshman. Uh, he redshirted, essentially, and then he you know, played really shared time last year. So this yeah, this is the most minutes he's played in college basketball, but I, I'm not that concerned about him hitting a wall, no. I, I think he's fine I, I, I have no reason to believe he's not conditioned for it uh, being he's been in the Marquette strength tra- and training program for weight program for three years now mm-hmm. um, so no, I'm not that I'm not that concerned about it now. Yeah,
0: well, and I think it'll also be relevant, and I'm kind of setting this as a as a a pinpoint to come back to. But you know, when we discuss the the second half schedule, I think that has relevancy on how many how many minutes some of these guys are going to be logging because the first half, you know, we certainly needed you know big minutes from folks like Oso against some of the competition we were playing. The second half maybe there's some opportunities to get some more rest during games than than in, in the first half.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. They still have one more break in the schedule uh, between the Xavier game on the February 15th and then they, they're off that Saturday. So, they, I mean, they have a bye week this week, and then they have another little break in mid-February. Um, so, I... I think they'll be. We'll talk about the schedule coming up in a, in a little bit. Uh, so Seton Hall complete domination. Love that one. Uh, again, it's kind of old news at this point. but Just very quickly, Providence win was also great. Um, a great night for Marquette basketball, really, with the 2003 team in the house, and the team uh, came out and lived up to the occasion too. Uh, I mean, just you were in the building that night, Phil. And what was it like to be at the five serve? that night for the the big win over Providence
0: yeah I mean the the energy was was pretty electric there was I it was probably short of the Wisconsin game it was the fullest I'd seen of the of all season um and certainly the most Marquette fans right no no shots at uh at what we did for the Fiserv for the Wisconsin game but you know obviously the the, the, the vast vast majority of the crowd was Marquette um, a lot of energy. I enjoyed seeing the retro gear. Some some, some folks had purchased new gear as retro gear, and, and some there were just some old school class, classics on display going all the way back to the 90s, which was, was really cool. So it kind of showed... Um, you know how how fondly we we look back on on that period and the uh, uh aside from av issues the uh, the halftime presentation of the 2003 team was was awesome and it was it was you know and there were a couple of times where where providence probably challenged marquette a little bit um but the energy in the crowd, you know, Shaka talks about EGBs, I, I think the crowd, you know, provided some of those and the team responded and, and uh, you know, so it was an exciting kind of game overall. What, what, what were your impressions from the TV?
1: Uh, definitely felt the energy watching on television. It definitely seemed like a full house on TV and uh, great energy. And it was it was definitely cool to see the 2003 team. They were the entire team, like every yep. player, including walk-ons. And uh, Keron Bradley was there, who was who. It was on that team, but he had transferred from Marquette, so he I think he finished up at Wichita State. But every player who was on the 03 team was there, plus Crean. Uh, it was just cool to see him there. Those Blazers Wade got them was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like they looked like they looked like we were hanging out like he didn't like get it. the memo though. He did he did not had
0: did not have his with him. So,
1: yeah, maybe just he maybe just figured it was too nice and was <laughs> saving it for some other occasion. I don't know what other occasion he's saving it for, but uh, but yeah, but no, they, the the jackets were sweet. It was fun seeing Crean on the broadcast like just gushing over how great it was. And um yeah, I mean, I, now that part I loved. And, yeah, the team, again, they, they lived up to the occasion. That was a game where, I mean, Tyler Kolick was in his bag. I mean, he had 19 points, eight assists. Uh, Cam Jones, another, he was great that night as well. He had 21 points. And, uh, you know, the toughest thing when you go against, against Providence is their big guys. Bryce Hopkins is just – he's so tough to guard, man. He, he's, he's frustrating to play against. He's a great player. Um, but they were able to – I don't know if limit him is the right word, but they didn't let him dominate. Right. Um, that game, and uh, unlike the last go round, it was more of an even whistle that night, and uh, yeah, but even that kinda played out.
0: But, but even Shaka got a little spicy, right? Like in his in his post game conference. Um, as, as well as on the uh, post-game radio show, I mean, he went out of his way to say, yeah, they're really tough because Providence fouls you every time down the court, right? Yeah, that
1: was funny. I remember that. I, I did hear the uh, post-game interview with Homer, <laughs> and he goes, well, quite frankly, because they're tough because they foul every time. I'm like, well, that's pretty blunt, but yeah. you're not lying. Yeah,
0: it, not, no no lies detected. So, yeah, it was, I mean, from a basketball standpoint, it was great. Like, you just kind of knew that team with the, with the 2003 group in attendance, like, and And I got to say, you know, I'm on the opposite corner from where the, the 2003 team was sitting. Um, but, you know, so I had pretty good view, but at a distance. But I got to tell you, I mean, that those guys were into it. The families were into it. Like, it wasn't like this was a chore for them. It it, it felt like genuine energy, genuinely glad to be back, glad to be with each other. Uh, I think the the Golden Break did a great interview with Travis Diener the, the next day, and, and Diener was talking about how great it was to have everyone back together. They hadn't been together in 20 years and, and how they kind of pick up where they left. Left off, and and I think what's the the reason I bring that up is is you get a little bit of a sense. Not in, like I don't mean this in the way that the results are going to be the same or whatever, but like the team camaraderie, the collective, the collective spirit, the 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 way that the twenty twenty three team kind of views itself collectively, is is a bit of a a, a bit of a, a similar vibe to what that two thousand two two thousand three team you know kind of talks about and was right again. I'm not saying we're going to go to the final four. I'm just saying the collective. Just feels cohesive um, in a in a similar way to that team.
1: You're saying the current team kind of feels set yes. togetherness. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but. Um... But yeah, the the O3 team was definitely into it. I mean, there there was one play in that game. I, th- I think it was like Kolik had a great bounce. Was it Kolik had a, like a great bounce pass, like splits fenders to to Oso who threw yes. down or something like that. There was one play where I like I saw the like the O3 team on the baseline just all stand up and just just loving it, just digging it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were all into it. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know when they'll do that again. I mean, is it overkill to do that every five years now? Now that we hit like twenty-five and thirty and thirty-five, I don't know if they'll all be together like that again. But I, hopefully they will. I mean, maybe it seems like overkill to do it every five years, but as long as they're all up for it, I'm 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 in. I'm I, into it. I, 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 I'm, I'm, get those guys I'm, together. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm for it. I I think the question is like, does anything else as cool as that come along? Right, like to a hey. certain extent, we're kind of hanging our hat on like, look how cool this this two thousand three thing was, and it was very special and so it, we keep rolling it back now if we see something over the next five years that like adds to the luster of Marquette maybe we, there's not quite as much 2003 emphasis but you know we'll see the, the one thing I, I do want to circle back to so and I you'll have to tell me if it was evident on the audio but when they introduced Crean, there was certainly from the student section by mine there was I wouldn't say it was loud but it was clearly audible boos for Crean when he was introduced. I think there were more cheers than boos. But could you hear that on the on the uh, the audio from the gamecast?
1: Not on TV. No, I really couldn't. I okay. I, I think like the part I as I remember the part they sh- showed on TV. Like they didn't show like everything. Okay. They just played like a soundbite from Crean. Okay. And. Uh, they, they just played the soundbite. It's like once you're a part of this, it never leaves you. And there were loud cheers after that. Like that's all I heard on TV.
0: Right. Yeah. So so when he was introduced, because they went down like literally each each player, and then you know, and and uh, by the way, Jared Schitt's... Shitting has, uh, shitting. Uh, sischting. I always. Don't I, call, I, I, what you call them? i don't call them shitting. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, sischting. Yes. We, 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 we won't re- reminisce what we called them in Note 3. But, um,. <laughs> Uh, man talk about talk about some some choice facial hair but anyway I digress so they went literally down the line and cream was the last one introduced um, and again lots of cheers but audible boos. and and this is where you know uh, to be fair I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant but like if you feel like you need to boo Tom cream question why you're going to the game like I, I get it. When I was, you know, in the the aughts, right, in the two thousands, after Crean left in the early two thousand tens, you know, I was a jilted lover. I couldn't believe Mark. You know, Tom Crean said all these great things about Marquette and then left. But let's be frank: he left to go to Indiana, which at the time I get it, right? And it's Indiana. It's India. It's Indiana. Indi- Right? I four. Um, like and so yes, there was booing, probably rightly deserved. We were all jilted lovers, but like one if it's the student sections you may not have been alive when Tom Crean left Marquette first of all second of all there is nothing we have now if Crean doesn't do what he did then right like and and I and miss me with that whole like well Dwayne Wade made Tom Crean I get it. The Final Four team is largely a reflection of the team and what and what the talent Dwayne Wade was. But you know what? Tom Crean also recruited Dominic James, Jarrell McNeil, Wesley Matthews, and quite frankly, 80% of the talent that did anything in the first couple of years of Buzz Williams' tenure. Right. So, like, let's put some respect on the guy. And quite frankly, when it comes to like the energy for the program. Like we haven't had anyone like him since he was here, in terms of like, and you can call it a used car salesman shtick, whatever you want to call it, but like, there's an enthusiasm whether he believes it or not. I don't care. Other people believe it. Other people feel it. You saw it in the speech, right? In in the way people reacted to it. That's an enthusiasm we need in this program, and and like to boo him at this point you know, nearly 15 years later, especially when we know what an actual ungenuine coach looks like. Cough, buzz, cough. Um, like, let it go, man. Like, just appreciate what the dude did. Um, and quite frankly, I would welcome back as a fut- future athletic director. Like, we need his energy, his salesmanship in this program. Rant,
1: if, done. If, if, if that, no, 100% agree with everything you said. If that job becomes open in the future, and Crane's done coaching, and he wants it, would love it. But back to your point about what he did and, and the whole way Yes, Dwayne Wade had so much to do with Crane's resume. Like, that's the high point. But first of all, you got to give him credit for taking a chance on Dwayne Wade, because right. a lot of other teams didn't. Uh, he, like, if if Dwayne Wade had the grades, he probably would have had a lot more offers and never would have even considered Marquette. But because of his academic situation, uh, you had to be a coach willing to wait a year and to force him to like, hey, let's let's hit the books and do this prop forty eight thing and get you academically eligible. So Crean was willing to roll the dice on that and he did it. Secondly, um, look at Marquette's all time leading scorers. Two, Jarrell McNeil, three, Lazar Hayward, four or five, Dominic James, seven, Travis Diener. ten, Wesley Matthews. Crean signed all of them. Eight Brian Wardle. He coached him. Didn't sign him, but he did coach him. So that's six of the top ten all-time leading scores, Crean coached. And I didn't even mention Dwayne Wade and Steve Novak, one Hall of Famer and another guy who played 10 years in the league. And also, Buzz Williams, love him or hate him, would not have become the head coach at Marquette if Crean did not bring him on as an assistant. Right. So Crean was directly responsible for the next era. Right. So he, the decisions he made spurred so much success in the program and Marquette may not have been invited to the Big East when it expanded. If now maybe they would have, because you know DePaul got invited too, I suppose. But the point is, Marquette became nationally relevant, and a team that, when the Big East was looking to grow, said, "All right, we're going to take, uh, we're definitely going to take Cincinnati and Louisville, and you know what, we're going to take Marquette too." Right. That's because they were nationally relevant because they they'd just been to a Final Four uh, a few years prior. So I am on board with everything you said. Just look. Again, look at some of the guys near the top of some of Marquette's all-time, you know, records list. Scoring, rebounding, uh, assists, wins, games played, and just ask yourself how many of these guys were signed by Tom Crean. Right. Like, quite a bit.
0: Right. right. Quite a bit. And, and and again, I don't I don't want people to think, "Oh, this, you know, Tom Crean is is, you know, next to only Al McGuire from a Marquette standpoint." It's not like that Tom Crean did it alone but he is a major piece of what, what made this program revitalized and successful. Um, it predates you and I, but you know, when you talk to folks that were here in the Dean era and, and that sort of thing, you know, like there was, there was a lot, well, hell, Rick Majeris was, was a bit of a step down from a result standpoint from, from Al McGuire. So there was a bit of wandering out in the wilderness and Tom Crean is one of the key pieces that brought us in from that wilderness. And again, I get, I was there. I was, you know, I was, you know, one of the ones passionately booing whenever Tom Crean would come into the pre, you know, would show up on the pregame intro after he had left. I get that we were jilted lovers. At some point, we gotta grow up and move past that. And again, I think the key is, he is, whether it's genuine or not, you can argue, ah, he's putting on airs. Don't care. If people believe he is genuine and genuinely enthusiastic about this program, that's what we need in this environment, right? Like, Shaka, Shaka is awesome. I would, there is not any amount of money in this world I would trade for Shaka but he's kind of the the quiet confident guy he's eloquent he's he's just he's a deep thinker but he's not a sales guy, right? He's going to show you. He's not going to tell you. And and what we need in this this media era uh, that we live in is we need somebody that's going to show you, someone that's going to get the enthusiasm on social media platforms. That's going to you know glad hand with the with the donors and make them feel special and a part of this. And whether Crean is qualified or not to run an athletic department or whatever, let set that aside. But that's the type of enthusiasm we need at the university to really build the program. I we can see, you know, we'll see what the second half of the biggie schedule, you know, turns out. But I I think we can all see from a from a production standpoint, the future is pretty bright for Marquette. We need to connect that bright future with the 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 potential fan base out there to really make this something. I mean the fact that the Providence game honoring the 2003 um, team, which is in everybody's memory, when the Brewers are not great, the the Packers kind of suck. Madison's doing terrible. You know, the only team that's you know doing okay in the Wisconsin area is the Bucks. Like that crowd should have been sold out, and yeah. and and that, I think that tells me that there's you know an enthusiasm gap and a casual fan gap that somebody like Tom Crean can help close or whatever. So I, again, whether Tom Crean's the solution or not. Let's not make it about that. But I think that's where I kind of get up on my high horse is like, we should be doing more to get more enthusiasm.
1: And the fact is, Crean wants to be a part of it now. Like, I think that might be something that might separate him and buzz right now like oh. great, buzz is coaching another pr- that's the, the, like buzz is coaching another program right now but let's say buzz got out of coaching for whatever reason would he be like have fond memories and want to come back i don't know but time heals all wounds maybe 10 years from now maybe he would i don't know but um but yeah like it's fact is creen has such great memories of marquette there's no reason to shut him out and say no boo you right like, he, he enjoys celebrating Marquette basketball. You have to give Wojo some credit for welcoming him back when they had that 100th anniversary yeah. c- celebration and making sure fans welcomed him back. I think Wojo did a great job with that. And, uh, yeah, I, again, if, if you're still bitter about it, man, it's been 20... It, well, it has been 20 years since he left, but it's been close to that. So let it go, man. <laughs> I just appreciate what the man did, especially now that he is not coaching another program and he just seems to have Fond memories, and you know, if if Crean is going to be associated with any one program he's coached, I think he would want to be most associated with what he did at Marquette. Yep,
0: completely agree. And and it's evident, right? Like I think it's it's yep. evident. But all right, I got that off my chest. It was bothering me. All right, well I feel no, good. I'm now. glad, glad
1: you, you. I'm glad you cleared that out, and now you can breathe. And let's. What do you say? We get back to the current team. Yes. Let's you talk know, about the great I, team we have now. Yeah. But by the way, just throwing this out there is 3 a lucky number for Marquette Oh, three, 3 final 4 13 elite 8 23 we'll see what happens here we'll see what happens here halfway through the biggie season Marquette is 8-2 and two. They're, uh, as of Wednesday morning they are a half game behind Xavier for first place in the league and you know Again, there's so much that could happen, Phil, and, and we go back and forth with something. I don't want to say all, but there is a certain sliver of the fan base that is emotionally scarred from the way some seasons have gone in recent years in February, and they're still waiting for the sky to fall. And, you know, that's that's just their decision. I'm, I'm done trying to convince them not that, like, well, maybe I'm not totally done, but I'm mostly done trying to convince them it's not going to fall or just to enjoy what we have. But 10 games in, 8-2, and two, you have to love that. And on top of that, Phil, like there are still some landmines to go in the schedule, but Marquette has played a lot of the toughest games it can possibly play. Not all of them, but if you look at the Big East schedule, 22 games with 11 teams. Obviously, you play 20 because you can't play yourself. But of the, let's see, 1, 2, th- 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 Q1 games, Marquette, can play. It's already played one, two, three, four, five of them. Uh, the the only Q1 games left would be at Connecticut, at Creighton, and then Xavier at home. Uh, there's a lot of space at the bottom. Marquette has not played any of the possible Q3 and Q4 games in the Big East. To see, there's uh, I can't believe Villanova's a Q3 game. Yeah. It is, um, but it is so St. John's. Villanova, Butler, at DePaul, DePaul, and then at Georgetown, and then Georgetown. So, again, just going by the metrics, again, I'm not necessarily saying these are all layups and definitely wins, but Marquette has essentially all of the bottom third of its schedule as far as as degree of difficulty still remaining. So, maybe you're scared of losing a bad one, but why not be optimistic that there's opportunities to pile up a few more wins here. If you win all the Q3 and Q4 games, Man, you're you're way up there in win totals in the Big East. Right. I mean, there,
0: there's a scenario where you win the obvious games to win on paper. Like ignore Kempom. I mean, Kempom has us going. Um, well, if you go on literal wins and losses, he would have us going. Uh, what is it? 16 and four in conference. But if you go based on um, you know percentage in which which way you know one tilts or the other, I think he's it's got a total of. Uh, have us going seven and three in the back half, right? So a fifteen and five finish. So either way you right. cut it, even if you just win the quote unquote easy games, you know a fifteen and five finish should win you at least um, a share of of the Big East regular season title, which would be amazing. Yeah, for,
1: for what it's worth, the Big e, uh, the Ken Palm projection projection does have Marquette winning the league at fifteen and six, one game ahead of Xavier. Because I mentioned that Marquette still has uh, a few Q3 games, but not many. Xavier has quite a few more. I mean, they still have to go to UConn. They still have to come to Milwaukee. They still have to go to Omaha. They still have to go to Providence. Right. I mean, they have the four toughest road games left. Uh, they haven't played any of the Q1 road games yet. So they have all of those to play. Um, uh, Providence still has to go to Connecticut. Providence still has to go to Cincinnati and play Xavier. Uh, so the... Connecticut still has uh, still the, still hosting Marquette, and they still have to go to Omaha. So Connecticut has played similar to Marquette. They've played a lot of the tougher games, but they have three losses in that regard. So yeah, some of the other Marquette. I don't know if it ba- if it bears out that Marquette has the easiest schedule remaining of the uh, of all Big East teams, but it's up there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not as loaded as what Xavier and Providence. And uh, Creighton still have to deal with. Well,
0: and the the other way to look at this is, you know, and 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 I don't want this to sound like revisionist history, but let's let's look at the schedules starting with Baylor forward, right? If you look at all our wins, can you think of a win where you go, ah, oh, the ball bounced just right, or we got lucky? Maybe the road game at Nova, right? That was a tight win. Nova missed a couple of buckets, so so that's the only of the wins we've had Baylor forward. That's the only game that stands out. to me as boy we we might have we might have gotten lucky right the the connecticut game you know yes um also hit free throws down the stretch when he needed to but and i'm sure we were all nervous but it wasn't like we hung on by our fingernails i mean that was a solid victory right conversely if you look at the losses um you know the wisconsin loss I don't want to dig into the stats, but Paint Touches was talking about, like, if you look at shot quality versus actual points generated, Chucky Hepburn was out of his friggin' mind against us in that Wisconsin game, and is the only reason Wisconsin beat us, right? So... They
1: literally beat Wisconsin's best game of the year. Correct. Best game they've played.
0: Correct. And so, yes, they beat us, but there's an, again, it's an argument, eight out of ten times, I think Marquette wins that game. And the Providence game took a historic whistle um to to end up in now marquette again they they faded late in the second half so i'm not trying to absolve marquette of guilt in these losses but there still was like crazy circumstances that led to the loss the only loss that is a like is a true you know we just couldn't get it loss is is xavier and that's on the road against a, you know, a top 10 opponent uh, where we were in the game the whole time and had opportunities to win it. So it's not like we're getting lucky in the, in the toughest part of the schedule. We are playing solid ball against all opponents through that schedule. If that continues, that's why you should be filled with optimism for the second half. The second half of the schedule. The schedule gets easier. Players can maybe rest a little bit. Yes, they got to stay on top of it, not take anyone for granted. But the schedule gets easier, and we've played well against the hard opponents. There's no reason to suspect that Shaka's going to let this team let down.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's really facts only. Right there's no denying the back half of marquette's schedule is by the metrics easier than the front half of marquette's schedule in the big east there is no denying that and also to your point what marquette did in the first 10 games does not feel lucky and overachieving in my mind i they all their wins again maybe ex- with the exception of the road win at villanova feels like they were in control and win was the win was not much in doubt from Tip to the end. Now, Connecticut was a grind, but they won that game legitimately. Like, I don't feel they got lucky or escaped or, whoo, whoa, he stole that one. No, they just beat him. They won. Right. Uh, and But, yeah, to your point, I, I don't feel like what they're doing is lucky and it's just about to crash down when the luck turns the other way. Their offense is the number one offense on Ken Palm. <laughs> now, thanks to Seton Hall, the defense took a big jump on Ken Palm. It jumped <laughs> up from, it's gone up to, like, already 70 overall just because they forced so many turnovers. But, Number two effective field goal percentage offensively in the country. Uh, they are top 30 in the nation in both protecting the ball and forcing turnovers. So the turnover battle is almost always in their favor. Uh, number one in the country in two point percentage, uh, two point field goal percentage. They get in the paint. They get easy buckets. They get they they get layups. They get dunks. They they take very smart shots. And you know just watching the team. Uh, it's almost a different guy every time, but there seems like there are so many guys who are able to get in the paint and figure it out. Whether like, they're driving, it's like, oh, I can go up for a layup, or they just get in the paint and maybe stop, and then like their defender's there, but they look up and find the next man, right? Like right. Whether it's a nice backdoor cut or uh, kick it out for a three. I think there are so many guys on this team, especially Kolek, but Cam does this too. Omax does this as well. And Oso does it. Uh, get in the paint. And then make a good decision. They do that exceptionally well, and they do it consistently, and it's not lucky. Three-point percentage is not bad. It's in the top third of the country. It's 35% as a team. That's not bad. It's not elite, but it's certainly not a bad percentage as a team. And, yeah, the defense, not elite, but 70 to the country, if you're talking about 350 teams, it's not terrible. Right. It's fine. It'll win you games, especially when you are elite at one thing, and that is forcing turnovers. Again, Marquette's 30th in the country at forcing turnovers defensively. You just got to hope they keep going. And, yeah, I understand there are landmines ahead. The the only downside about playing weaker teams is that there's the opportunity to to lose to a weaker team, right? Right? And, like, those those are the ones that give you heartburn and give you a little anxiety. And uh, Georgetown got their first win. So, like, the fear of being the team that loses to Georgetown is gone, but Georgetown does have the potential to beat, because they're in every game at halftime. Yes, DePaul, which we'll talk about in a minute, House of Horrors, they play well against Marquette, and Marquette usually plays poorly against DePaul, especially in their place. But there's no denying that the back half of this schedule is more manageable than the first half, and they manage the first half really well. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, and I get... Yeah, I think the the touching on the anxiety part of it, right? You know, not diagnosed anxiety, but sports anxiety, right? Like fandom. Like I get that there are, you got to see it before you you really believe it. We are at a it is a natural inflection point where you go, okay, the about calendars about to turn to February we've got you know we've got some demons literal and figural, figurative to to exercise right we we know about the depaul landmine we you know we know we've got a history over the last seven, eight years and quite frankly, I think it's fair to admit some of the fan base hasn't been around for the good times. they've not yeah. seen the 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 uh, um, you know, Marquette slogged their way through his schedule, and you know, and there's always going to be, you know, what was it in the 2003 season? Was it uh, South Florida or UAB, where it was a terrible opponent? It was a road game, and Marquette. East Carolina. East Carolina. Yeah, that's right. It was East Carolina. East they...
1: Carolina is the only team to beat Dwayne Wade in both of his college seasons. Yes,
0: and and East Carolina, they're bad now. They were even worse then, right? Like they were the Georgetown of Conference USA. And, exactly. And, and in the in the final four season, we lost to him on the road. Um, yep. And it was even worse because I didn't think we could too. watch it on TV. <laughs> like, I think we had to listen on the radio because, like, there was no TV contract for that game.
1: Um, yeah, I, I definitely remember not watching the second time. I remember watching the first time because I was in the Marquette University TV office, and we're like, I can't believe we lost this game, and we gotta go do our little sports cast and talk about this. But I, I think the second time, I remember, I think I was home for Christmas, and I just saw uh, like the bo- bottom line on ESPN, like, thinking, oh my gosh, we lost that game? Never even thought it was possible. But yes, sometimes good teams lose bad games, and it, won't, and it shouldn't wreck your season as long as one loss doesn't turn into two losses, and then right. two losses turns into four out of five. That's what has I think scarred some fans in recent years is wojo teams in each of his last three seasons had a stretch where they lost six out of seven right and I think that's that's what people are just stressed out about so much is is that happening uh, again but I have no reason to believe that that should happen to this team like they if they play the way they've played even if there is a lull or have one stinker here in the last ten I'm not gonna get all bent out of shape about it it's when you have Three out of four stinkers, right? That's when you really start get to get bent out of shape about it.
0: Right, right. And and to your point, I mean, if you do lose a stinker, that only hurts you because right now, I mean, and it's a little bit crazy to be talking about in January, but I think we're at the point where the second half of the season is all about NCAA tournament seeding, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, could they lose all ten and miss out on the on the tournament? I, anything is possible, right? Like, that would that would absolutely be a collapse. and, and you Don't know. put that in the universe. Right, right, right. I'm not, you know, okay, that's a non-zero chance. But...
1: The, yeah, you know, the, I know what you're saying, but, like, to say someone is a lock in January is a little premature because to be a lock, you need to lose out and still get in. Right. But, yeah, I, I would say... They're not a lock, but they're pretty much a lock.
0: Right, and and so they've, they've got to play the games in front of them, obviously. Uh, but, you know, it, you've got to play this schedule saying, hey, we can't lose bad games because um, that hurts our seeding, and we really have to win. I would make the argument we want to, at a minimum, we want to win one out of the three tough games left on the schedule, right? There are seven, you know, you kind of went through it. There are seven "Quote unquote easy games or seven games you should win." Um, I think I'm looking at it right now, and I don't see seven
1: games where Ken Palm has Marquette as at least a five point favorite.
0: Correct, and at least a seventy four percent chance of winning or higher. Right? Like
1: yeah, there you go. You know, That's a better way to look at it.
0: You know, so so they're they're highly predicted to win seven out of the ten games. So that leaves three tough games left at UConn, Xavier at home, and at Creighton. I think the expectation is if we the if they are the team we think they are, barring injuries, et cetera, they should win at least one of those three. And if you go eight and two in the back half of the season, sixteen and four, that's a Big East title, baby. I think so too. Like I, I just I think so too. I, I mean. Connecticut's already behind us in the standings. Like you said, Xavier's got a bunch of tough games. Uh, Creighton's kind of behind in the standings. You know, yes, they might be. You know, they might be playing much better, especially with Kalkbrenner back. Um, but I don't know. You know, unless they win out and we lose, you know, three, I don't think they can catch us. Um, so Xavier's the the only real. If Marquette plays to its potential, Xavier's the only real challenge for that Big East title. And again, we play Xavier, so we can, you know, we can notch a win there and, and knock them back while advancing ourselves, and Xavier has a lot of, a lot of tough games in front of them. So they, they theoretically, I think they're, what, 9-1? and one? Is it likely that they're going to go 8-2 and two in the back half of their schedule? I'd be surprised. It's possible, but it could. But, like, you know, go 8-2 and two in the back half, and you're as close to guaranteed a Big East title as I can imagine.
1: I I would be surprised if 16 and four was not at least a share. Right. Right. Possibly outright, but I I think 16 and four is at least a share. Yeah,
0: I think that's right. And again, it it seems otherworldly, especially in year two of Shaka, where we, you know, the media is picking, on average, Marquette to be ninth in the conference, right? So it seems like this is out of nowhere. But eight and two in the back half schedule. Yes there can always be those negative vibes and the you know something bad could happen whatever yep uh, acknowledged but eight and two is not a crazy projection based on what we've seen it's probably a reasonable projection which should tell you how far this team has come
1: right you know I agree there's no reason to think that eight and two down the stretch is impossible and i could i could see them getting nine and one quite frankly you know like if they just keep improving it's just you just worried uh about a backslide or maybe an injury is right. giving you a tough stretch or something like that but yeah they should be able to handle these games uh down the stretch and now they just need to show it and the the few remaining doubters in our fan base just bring them on board right and i think i don't know how many you need to win like I think if they went nine and one those doubters would still talk about the one instead of the nine but you can't please everybody, just please most of us, and I think most of us are very pleased. So, um, let, let's talk a little bit, Phil, about the game this week, and that is uh, DePaul. Yeah, DePaul, and Phil this, has this,
0: did... is, this is well-timed, because I think this is the big demon. If we slay it, I think we get a lot of folks that are hesitant on.
1: DePaul has done something quite amazing, Phil. Really, really amazing, that as of Wednesday morning, DePaul has accounted for Xavier's only loss and Georgetown's only win in the Big East. (laughs) My God.
0: (gasps) Like, like, do do the six DePaul fans that still exist, do they have, like, whiplash?
1: Yeah, like, you talk about yin and yang for this team. Uh, Like, I don't know how they pulled that off. But they did. Uh, They they managed to beat Georgetown's only, uh, only Big East, uh, only Big East win in like a year and a half. And but again, speaking to the the horrors, I, I think the worst one, like the worst one, goes back to the Buzz era. I think DePaul had two losing streaks of like twenty or more in the Big East, and yeah, there was 24. one win in yeah. that stretch. Yeah, yeah, and there was one win in that stretch, and that one win came against Marquette. And like I, I think ever since then. It's always been, and like maybe Tom Crean's team had a few stinkers at DePaul, but DePaul wasn't quite as putrid back then. They were bad, but they weren't as like the joke that they have been for like the last ten or fifteen years. But there's been so many times when Marquette has played DePaul and just played terrible and maybe DePaul plays above their head a little bit but and and that's why this game always gives them some anxiety. The good news is usually that game is towards the very end of the season. It's like like in the last four or five games. And like quite I felt like quite a bit. I'd have to research it to back this up. This is just kind of a gut feeling. Like losing at DePaul was always a season-ending type loss in the Wojo era. Yes. Like it was like you, like you lose that one it's like all right, well now we're done. Now we're not making the tournament. And that that happens so so often. So, the the question I, I guess I have is which DePaul team shows up on Saturday? Phil, is it the one that beat Xavier or the one that lost to Georgetown?
0: I, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, but I I, I don't know that it's going to matter, right? Like if you if you <laughs> I, I get the demons, and believe me, I feel it, right? Like I I literally think this game in a weird way is a must-win because if you beat DePaul on the road after a week of rest. Um, to start to kick off the, the 10 game stretch, you need to, to win, you know, eight at least to, to win the conference title. It's got to start with this DePaul on the road after rest. Like, if ever there was a game where Marquette this season is going to have a let up, this is the game. So if Marquette doesn't let up and gets the win. And and I think it's going to be a weird game, right? Like, these are always weird games. You know, Marquette might shoot 20% from three or some crazy thing. But I think this is the game that I would hope Shaka and the staff has this team going, look, I don't care what the opponent is on paper. Look what they did to Xavier. Like, they're capable of being giant slayers, especially with our history. Go get the friggin' win, right? Like Just win, maybe. Yeah
1: just win and you know you said the 20% from three that might be exactly the reason Xavier lost because Xavier was four of 20 from three in that game DePaul was nine of 20 right right and and DePaul won by one in that game uh that's that's like if DePaul gets a little hot from three um they're in the top 100 nationally shooting from three they're not a terrible three-point shooting team like that's the one area where they can make up ground is if they just get hot from three um uh, Gibson is better than forty percent, and uh, Javon Johnson is also better f- than forty percent. So you, you got to get a hand up on those guys when they're out there on the perimeter. Those two guys have—I mean—they've yeah, both shot more than 125 threes this year and made more than 50. So you got to get a hand up on those guys, and that's how DePaul can pull away or catch up, uh, depending how the season's going. But. The one thing I will say, looking at DePaul's stats, Phil, that gives me some encouragement. DePaul is actually a worse rebounding. Team yeah, I was Cavs. gonna, I was
0: gonna, I was gonna call that out as well. Like all yeah, of like, our weaknesses, uh, they're worse at.
1: Yeah, so second chance points should not be a huge issue like when when maybe marquette has had some tough stretches during the season where they maybe they give up a 10-0 run or a, you know a 12-4 run or something like that they it's the team is getting all those putbacks they're getting offensive rebounds they get three rebounds in one possession and get a two those are maybe some of the more frustrating stretches marquette has had on defense mark uh, depaul ranks below marquette in both defensive rebounding and offensive rebounding so that should not be like a glaring weakness in this game. Uh, DePaul does turn it over a little bit, not excessively, and they're not great at forcing them on defense. They're just kind of middle of the road in both of those regards. But that's the kind of thing when I'm looking at DePaul, Phil, is that's the way a lot of teams have taken advantage of Marquette and beat them is with those second-chance points. Uh, that should not be the case against DePaul.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think if you look at the four the four factors, right? I, I completely agree on the rebounding thing, right? We should, if we do miss, we should get more reba- offensive rebounds than we've gotten in against other opponents. And if DePaul misses, we should be collecting more defensive rebounds than than we have in past opponents. So, you know, it, it's going to take DePaul to a certain extent um they have to hit their first shot in a possession if you will right like I think one of the things we've highlighted in the past where this is really relevant is Marquette does a really great job of defending for you know 29 seconds of the shot clock a shot goes up and they miss the rebound and then the defense is a little out of sorts in the scramble and that's where opponents get get their second chance points like you were highlighting that should not be as as much of a risk so if you look at effective field goal percentage both offensive and defensively Marquette should win that turnover margin Marquette should win that Um, the rebounding uh, uh, factor we should win both offensive and defensively free throws eh, who knows what the whistle is going to be right but you know, if you're gonna if you're likely to win three out of the four factors, that's almost a guaranteed win every time from a statistical likelihood standpoint. So w- I mean
1: for what it's worth, Ken Palm has Marquette as a nine as an eleven point favorite on the road here.
0: Right. So. And based on what we're hearing, it sounds like the, the wind trust is likely to be close to sold out, which is Yeah, just I saw that. Which is just about the only time this season And I'm guessing it's probably, I don't think a bunch of DePaul fans were encouraged by the Xavier win and go, yeah, we got to buy tickets to to, to watch him beat Marquette. I I feel pretty confident it's going to be a 60-40, 70-30 Marquette crowd
1: split. I can only assume it's our guy Jeff and all his friends.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Je- Jeff has uh, has forced uh, others to listen to the podcast, and the enthusiasm is an earworm. And people, you know, it's it's the last of us, but for Marquette basketball tickets. We're, uh, <laughs> we're sorry, had to go pop culture. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, it's gonna. I'm sure it's gonna be a weird game. I'm sure there's gonna be reasons for angst. I, you know, could we be down? 10 in the first half? Absolutely. Especially coming off a bye. You know, maybe DePaul gets fired up by, you know, stopping Georgetown's 29-game Big, uh, Big East losing streak. I I don't. Weirder things have happened. But- yeah, I,
1: I. that's my biggest question, is what version of DePaul shows up? Like, I could see two things. Like, one, all right, guys, let's regroup and let's refocus and let's hammer everything we did wrong against Georgetown and not let that happen again. But I could also see... Being totally deflated and embarrassed, and letting that hangover carry into another game, right? Right. And, and just come out lifeless, and especially when you get into your own gym and it half of it's gold. Right. Uh, I, I could I, I could see either way. I'm preparing for the former just because again DePaul for whatever reason always plays above its head against Marquette, especially when they're at home, and I. I, I I am hoping for a comfortable win. I am just—I would be satisfied with a two-point win. I, yeah. <laughs> just get—just get, just get out of there with a win. That's—that's that's all I—that's all I ask. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, again, I don't need style points. I don't need whatever. You get on a win. You, you get out with a win. You put this behind us. You—you you move on with this with the schedule, and like you—you you know, we can build off this. You beat DePaul. That slays. You know, like I keep saying, a literal and figurative demon for for the Marquette fan base, and then you go and every game after that. I think it's a little bit easier because the pressure is a little bit better, right? Beat DePaul at home, at, on the road, and then you're going to end up having two games in a, two home games in a row, including National Marquette Day. There will be juice in the building. Get those games behind you. Now all of a sudden you're 11 and two. And kind of the world is your oyster, and you've got you know some games that are challenging, but you're you're kind of you're stringing them along, and and that's that's the real goal. But I mean, we'll get to the future schedule when when the future comes. But get this to Paul. Win really focus up on this, and then we're good.
1: Yeah, I, and just it's a matter of just you're you're walking across a minefield, and with each step you feel a little better. Right, like ooh, got past that part. All right. On to the next one, and then on to the next one. Just one game at a time. If Marquette focuses on what they do best and play their game, they should win this game. Forget lucky or demons or whatever you want to say is reasons Marquette has failed at in Chicago before. But I, if they play their game the way they have, even if it's a B- effort, it should be good enough to beat the ball. Agreed. That's the bottom line. They, they should win this game. So, I, I I'm predicting a I I am predicting a win for the record. I'll say it would be uglier than we prefer, but it'll be like a I'm gonna say it'll be like a five point win. It'll be like oh, that's good enough.
0: Yeah, I, I think something similar. I, I definitely think it's gonna be a little funky in that first half. I just the fact that we're gonna have a little week off. I know the team needs the rest. Uh, I know they're coming off a little bit of high the the Providence and Seton Hall stuff. So it's it's easy to let up a little bit. So we may see a little bit of that in the first half. But again, we've seen. That and other games, and Shaka usually has the right answers. Sometimes he sits the starters, and is like, "Hey, look, bench, you're going to go go close this gap and and send a message to the starters, or you know someone will step up and and do something." Um, so I, I do think it'll be funky in the first half, but but Marquette will 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 win the day uh, at the end of the game, and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and move on with our lives.
1: Hopefully, you're right. All right. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here, Phil?
0: No, I feel I feel like I've ranted enough. So um,
1: yeah, I do too. I, it's pretty cathartic. I feel like we've said enough. Yeah, it's it's I,
0: think, I think it's good to go.
1: Yeah, I, I I think we've said what we need to say. Let's again, don't lose to the It's been a joke for a while, but seriously, just don't lose to the Paul. Agree. can get past this. All right. As always, you can hit hit us up on Twitter. I am Joe McCann3. Phil is M-O-O-O-F-23 at Crack Sidewalks. It's a team handle. You can go to CrackSidewalks.com. We post a podcast there. You can leave comments on CrackSidewalks.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And it's on the uh, Scramble Eggs Facebook page as well. Phil, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully it is a stress-free weekend that uh, gets us... One step closer to that ultimate goal, we'll see how far this team can go. But again, it's got to start with this one.
0: Yep, a can dream. Don't Don't lose to DePaul.
1: Don't lose to DePaul. Until next time, seashells and balloons, everybody.